Well, thank you so much for joining our ABF online service. And I pray that you are having a fantastic week and you are showing up today to be challenged in your walk with the Lord. Well, whether you are near or far, we'd love to hear for, from you. So text us at 97000, your prayer requests, uh, anything that you would like to share with us. Man, our staff considers it a privilege to partner with you in prayer. Well, at ABF, we have so many things going on throughout the week. We've got Bible studies, life groups, children's events, tons of things. We'd love for you to jump on our website at agorabible.org and check out how you can get involved. Our ongoing ministries are only made possible through your generous financial support. And we would be grateful if you would prayerfully consider uh, supporting us. So if you'd like to make a donation, just go on our website and you can hit the Give tab. Well, before we dive into God's word, I would love for you to join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we are just grateful that we have this opportunity to learn from your word, from you, God Almighty. So Lord, in these moments, I pray that you would speak to every individual that is here, ready to hear a word from you. So Lord, speak clearly to us. We open ourselves up to your authority. We love you, and we pray all these things in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, Adrian, and hello, everyone. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. I graduated from Trinity International University back in 2007 with my undergrad degree. No, I'm not just giving you my credentials. I tell you that for a reason. And the reason is because every summer since 2007, my college friends and I have gotten together at the cabin. We do a long weekend. The long weekend used to entail things like wakeboarding, tubing, basketball, all those types of physical activities. Um, now, the weekend looks more like taking a boat ride and maybe sitting around and talking while sitting in the water. Uh, we golf. I'm not upset about it. It's a great change. Uh, very, very happy about it. The Tylenol levels have decreased <laughs> over the last few years, which is great. Uh, cool thing, everybody from our friend group makes it every year. We're all pretty committed to it. I think we wrote it in most of our wedding vows. Uh, I know at least we had conversations with the wives as they were kind of being introduced into the friend group. Um, and I don't think the wives fully understood that they were committing like for a lifetime, uh, not only in marriage to us, but also to us then going to the cabin for a long weekend every year. Uh, we have absolutely amazing wives who hold down the fort at home with all the kiddos that everybody has and the boys go and play for a weekend and it's really seemed like a really really great agreement that we've got Lindsay my wife and her college friends have been talking about doing a similar trip for years and it's never happened until this year so Currently, I am filming here on Thursday night, and Lindsay leaves tomorrow for three nights to go and spend with her college friends. Um, 
I will have the girls for my first time by myself overnight. It's going to be interesting. I am not expecting or asking you to feel bad for me. Please don't. Uh, but I legitimately am asking for you to pray for me. Um, yeah, I know that you won't be watching this video until like Saturday or Sunday, but I also know that the Lord is not constrained by time or space and your prayers matter. I can use all the prayer I can get and I am not even joking. Uh, man, prayer works. It is an incredible truth that the Lord bends down and listens to us. The creator of the universe listens to us and so please intercede on my behalf. That would be much, much appreciated. Uh, prayer absolutely works absolutely an amazing thing, which is why today we are starting a new series called Powerful Prayers. That's right. The whole story was getting there. Waste of your time. It's okay. You're still with me. We're together. We're having a good time. So over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at five powerful prayers found in scripture. And we're going to be just exploring what we can take away from them, exploring what we can learn about prayer, exp learning, uh, exploring what we can learn about the Lord and how we relate to him and just follow Jesus better. So this week I'm kicking us off and we are looking at King David's prayer of repentance. Not only is this prayer a great bridge from our previous meltdown series in general, you'll see what I'm talking about in a little bit. But also, I think we're going to get a little synergy from uh, my own message in the Meltdown series talking about King Solomon just a few weeks ago. If you missed it, that's okay. You didn't miss very much. Uh, but what I did was I closed by contrasting King Solomon, who I spent the majority of the message talking about, and King David both of whom had massive meltdowns. And I said, we tend to remember David's meltdown, but not Solomon's. But yet Solomon was the one who lived out the rest of his life in his sin without a happy ending. Whereas David had this incredible heart and life change. And we see in the grand scheme of David's life, the Lord viewed David as a man after his heart and as a man that wholly, completely, followed the Lord, even despite this massive meltdown that he had. The question should be asked by those of us who follow Jesus. So what is the difference? Like, what was the turning point? What's the difference between these two men, father and son, and how things went for the rest of their lives? And I would suggest the answer clearly seems to be that it's all about the posture of David's heart. And this prayer of repentance that we're looking at today is the perfect, perfect glimpse into David's heart. Whether or not you ever fail as bad as David did, and I'm assuming most of us not won't, um, but it doesn't really matter. Whether or not you fail as bad as David did, this is the type of heart that the Lord desires for every single follower of Jesus. Let me pray for us and then let's get into God's word together. Dear Father, um, Lord, we come again on another week uh, and we are just looking forward to getting into your word. 
Um, Lord, the story of David, I feel like is fairly popular. Even this prayer that we're going to be looking at in the Psalms is uh, fairly popular. Um, but yet, Lord, I'm convinced that you have something that you even just need to remind us of today. Um, it's possible we've heard it plenty of times over the course of our life. Um, but Lord, I pray that you would refresh us anew and we would uh, stand amazed at the good news of Jesus and the gospel message, um, even here again today. Um, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for your word and how it sharpens us and corrects us. Lord, we ask that we would come humbly before it even right now. In praise in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you would, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 51. And while you're turning there, I would love to fill you in on a sl just a little bit of background of what's going on with King David. So King David's meltdown was it was gigantic, an absolutely really, really bad meltdown. And the story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So while David's entire army was out at war, he was back home creeping up on his roof. He's up on his roof. From there, he spots a beautiful woman taking a bath. And when he asked about her, he found out that she was married to one of his soldiers. He still sent for her and used his position to pressure her into sleeping with him. Then, when he found out that she was pregnant, he did everything in his power to cover it up, which ultimately ended in having uh, her husband murdered, and then he took her as his own wife. He thought the cover-up had worked. He thought he was in the clear, but he thought wrong. The Lord sent the prophet Nathan to confront David about the situation and this prayer found here in the Psalms was David's response. As you can see at the, uh, in the superscription or the title up kind of at the top of the chapter there. Let's start reading. Psalm 51 starting in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. We'll stop right there. The big picture of this section of what David's talking about is that David turned to God and he confessed. He turned to God and he confessed. The first part of that is that he turned towards God. I know that when we are confronted with our sin, oftentimes the initial response is to retreat, is to turn away, to create space from God, and really to avoid anything or anyone that even kind of reminds us of God, right? It's kind of that just like separating and that pulling away thing. Uh, Obviously, that's not going to heal the relationship with God, right? Even just in human terms, we know that to be true. In your relationship with your spouse or really any relationship, if you uh, have conflict with someone and 
one or both sides just run away and avoid the conflict, like there's not going to be any healing that comes, right? Like it's pretty, pretty obvious. Why do you think Lindsay left for three nights? I, that's not, that's not, that's not why. Uh, But here's the thing. David did not create space from God. He turned towards God and he confessed. He confessed. Look at his prayer starting there in verse three. Look at the ways that he confesses. David says in verse three, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. In verse four, I sinned and it's against only you. You and only you, God, that I sinned. God, you're completely justified in any judgment or any discipline that comes my way. I'm a born sinner. I know that's what I do. In verse six here, I know this to be true at the core of who I am. I am convinced of it. Man, David is a man that is completely owning his sin. He agreed with God that he was in the wrong. He didn't make any excuses. Um, Rather, what he does is he acknowledges that even though he, he sinned in human terms against other humans, he's acknowledging that really he's sinning against God because that's the way that God set this thing up. He set it up where if we sin or hurt other people, we are legitimately sinning directly against God. I mean, just think about it, right? If you have kids, you know this to be true. A heavenly father and an earthly father kind of think the same way. If someone does anything to hurt my girls... Like, it is a personal offense. I take, like, if anybody hurts either of my girls, it is very directly offending me against me. So that is certainly true of the way that the Lord has set things up here on this planet as well. All of that being said, the biggest thing that stands out to me from this first section of scripture is the timeline, Okay. Verse three, take a look. It says this, for I know my transgressions, David admits, and my sin is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. He can't get it out of his mind. It just keeps replaying. It's ever before him. But the question is, when does that ever start? I found it interesting to learn. I did not realize this before studying this week and kind of diving into it a little bit. I, did, I learned this week that ever, this moment that he's talking about here in verse three, did not begin immediately after he sinned. He didn't do this, like commit this sin, and then it was just always on his mind, and he was just regretful and remorseful. That's not when it started. This ever didn't come about until the prophet Nathan confronted him about his sin. And the prophet Nathan didn't confront him about his sin until about a year later. This is a year after the fact. David sinned a year ago and this whole time uh, ever doesn't begin until about a year later. Based on the timeline, most likely David just went about his life doing his thing for a year after committing rape, and murder. Commentators suggest it is probable that David continued to regularly pray, worship the Lord, follow the law, make the sacrifices, act as leader of the religious uh, ins and outs of the day for a year. Now, 
at first, as I was kind of working through this, like it just struck me that that would absolutely be crazy to me that he could commit a sin like that and the gravity of that sin and the conviction over that sin didn't really sink in right away. But man, the more I think about it, I think that is absolutely us. That is absolutely us. I can absolutely, I can so clearly see how at the beginning, right after the sin, David was so consumed with just covering it up, with just figuring out how can I cover this sin up, this thing that I've got going on in my life, how can I cover it up so that nobody else knows? That would just be an all-consuming thought. Don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there. I just completely consumed with how do I cover up this sin from other people? Then think about it afterwards. If you've ever been in this situation before where you're so just consumed with covering up your sin and then you're a little bit down the road and you feel like you've covered it up, man, that feeling of relief of just like letting it go. Oh, I'm so relieved that I'm out of the woods. God is not even on your mind, not even a thought. The idea of doing any introspection and having like this uh, inventory of how I'm doing with the Lord, not really a thing. Uh, I, uh, man, I think it can sound kind of ridiculous when we hear in David's context and hear about him like having this gigantic sin and then living that way. But man, I'm telling you, it is the exact same way for us today. Um, we can be so content as long as other Jesus followers don't see our mess and somehow we can just deceive ourselves. There's this like mental game that we play and is somehow forgetting about the fact that Almighty God sees everything going on in our hearts, in our lives. And uh, he knows exactly what's going on. And there's, again, there's something about this self-deception that we do where we won't even take the time, maybe because we're scared, I don't know, but we won't even take the time to do an inventory, to do a heart check, and even come to the place of realizing that we need to confess. There's just something wrong in the minds of us humans. There's something broken where we act exactly like this. For David... It took a confrontation from Nathan directly to get his head screwed on properly and actually see reality for what it is. And the same is true for us today. Sometimes God's word can do the convicting in our lives. Sometimes a sermon can even do general conviction in our lives. My hope is even the Holy Spirit is working right now on stuff that's going on in our hearts that the Lord wants to convict, right? Sometimes our conscience just does the work that it's kind of supposed to do, but imperfectly does. But honestly, sometimes we just need a Nathan to come and speak into our lives and to call us out on our stuff. We just do. And sometimes we need to be that Nathan for another Jesus follower in our life when we see something that's not matching up. Now, I know the idea of calling out other people's sin, man, there is some trepidation. Uh, there is some sensitivity to having that conversation. Uh, it, probably, 
primarily because people have done it so wrong in the past and people continue to do it so wrong. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that calling out sin in the church, not calling out sin outside of the church, calling out sin inside the church, other people that claim to know, love, and follow Jesus is so vitally important in the life of the church. Imagine, imagine if Nathan refused to listen to the Lord and go and confront King David because he was the king and didn't want to do the confronting thing. All of you conflict avoiders like myself, man, we need to hear that. It is so vitally important in the life of the church. And sometimes that's what the Lord is calling us to do for each other. But here's the thing. The key is how it is done. There are multiple passages in scripture that address confronting sin. I really like Galatians 6.1. It says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. A few things to note. Confrontation can and should be gentle. And the aim or goal is restoration. Not being a spiritual snob and being like, yeah, I'm, I need to call people out. Uh, if you enjoy that a little too much, maybe you shouldn't be doing the calling out. Anyways, when the gravity of David's sin finally registered, when it finally sank in, his response was to turn to God and to confess he was wrong. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Sing it. It's gonna be different in person, hopefully, maybe, but, oh, you're singing. Okay, good. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Rejo restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. It's definitely good that he changed that last line. Uh, that, yeah, that didn't sound good. Anyways, good singing. Good singing, my friends. So after confessing that he was in the wrong, David asked the Lord for forgiveness and renewal. He asked the Lord for forgiveness and renewal. Look at the ways that David asked for forgiveness in verses seven through nine. Purge me, wash me, let me hear joy and gladness and be healed. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out my sin. He's acknowledging that he needs forgiveness and cleansing and that God is the only one that can do those things. So in case you're wondering, like I did, about the purging with hyssop thing in verse 7. So hyssop was a plant, and it was used regularly in the ceremonial cleansing rituals. Uh, like when a person had leprosy and then wanted to come back into the people. Or if there was a house that had mold and they wanted to cleanse it before it could be lived in again, they would use hyssop. So it was part of this cleansing. And so here in David's prayer in Psalm 51, per the context of what we're talking about, he's simply asking God to cleanse him spiritually. 
He's asking for forgiveness. And then he takes it a step further in verses 10 through 12, and he asks for personal renewal. There is a reason why it turned into such a popular song, especially in the 80s and 90s. Man, it is such a powerful, powerful prayer, these verses of 10 through 12. So in the bookends, in verse 10 and verse 12, man, you can just feel David's longing to feel close to God again. I just want to be close to you. I want to have this thriving, renewed relationship with you. And I thought, man, what an amazing prayer that is still for us today. Kind of in my own words, rewording it, uh, rewording it. Man, the prayer of God, I so desperately want to have pure thoughts. I so desperately, Lord, want to have pure motives. God, please, I want joy in my life. I want joy in my relationship with you. You are the only one that can give those to me. I need you for that. What a great, great prayer. But that kind of leaves out that middle verse, verse 11. What do we do with verse 11 today. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, Truth be told, I didn't really think about it all that much. It was just part of the song. I just sang it. It was just part of the psalm. Uh, But listen to this. Verse 11 says this, cast me not away from your presence. The song adds, oh God, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Was that on the table for David? Was that on the table for David, having the Holy Spirit taken away? Is that on the table for us, for you and me, followers of Jesus here today? So first of all, I think it is very important to remember where King David was coming from. Uh, When David took over as king, who was he replacing? Do you remember? We've already talked about it. King Saul, okay? So Pastor Scott actually focused on King Saul Um, in the Meltdown series just a few weeks ago. And in case you missed it, King Saul disobeyed God. And so God said that he was going to remove the kingdom, take the kingdom away from King Saul and give it to someone better. Remember that? Yeah. So as part of this transition process of the kingdom going from King Saul over to King David... We are told that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. That is a direct quote from 1 Samuel chapter 16. So there is no doubt that David had this departing of God's spirit from Saul. There's no doubt that he had this in the back of his mind and was worried that the Lord was going to do the same thing to him because of his disobedience. No doubt, absolutely must have been on David's mind and on his heart as he's uh, writing this and praying to the Lord. Now, uh, before Jesus, people were not indwelt with the Holy Spirit in the same way that we are today. Uh, Those of us today that follow Jesus, right? After Jesus's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension up to heaven, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Um, But for Saul, back then, the departure of the Spirit of the Lord really signified a loss of the Lord's blessing in his life. And specifically, 
his position as king. That's what it signified him, uh, the, the spirit of the Lord departing from him. It didn't have anything to do with Saul's eternity or salvation. And I would say, honestly, that with that understanding, I think that's kind of an, a good, clear application for you and I today. For those of us who have a genuine relationship with Jesus, who've made him the king of our lives, he has reign and rule over every area of our life. What he says goes. For those of us that have made Jesus king of our lives, uh, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. We have the Holy Spirit and you're stuck with him, right? Like he's not being taken away. That's a forever type of deal for those of us that genuinely follow Jesus. And so uh, that being said, like David, are there consequences still for our sin? Of course, absolutely. David had consequences for his sin. This sin in particular had consequences. Um, like Saul, uh, ongoing sin absolutely has repercussions as well. Uh, for us, Today, just like Saul, ongoing sin can absolutely result in loss in our lives. Loss of the Lord's blessing in our life. Loss of usefulness in serving the Lord. Man, uh, when we've got ongoing stuff uh, in our life that's not lining up with what, it absolutely blocks how useful we are in serving him, following him, and how he uses us. There is no doubt about it. Uh, loss of joy there's absolutely going to be a loss of joy in our lives if we've got ongoing stuff that's stuck in between us and him. And I think all that is probably why David pleaded so intensely for forgiveness and for renewal. All right, our last section starts here in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So we have just entered an interesting phase at the Antioho household. We have entered the bribes at dinner phase. And in case you are not familiar with said phase, it's when your toddler only wants to eat stack, snack foods at dinner time, And so you bribe her to eat her dinner saying uh, you'll offer her a bite of the snack that she wants at the moment if she eats a bite of the dinner that's been prepared for her. That's how it works. Now, is it a strategy that I'm particularly proud of? Not really. But is it effective? Not really. Uh, if you have kids, uh, you probably know. I'm guessing either that or we're just very unique. Um, but man, I'm telling you, I think she's like uh, our little daughter, Holly, two years old. I think she's like an evil mastermind. It's pretty brilliant because uh, she likes the food that we're preparing for her for dinner. 
um, but yet she's pretending not to like it uh, in order to get other things. I think is how it's working in her head. I'm not really sure because it's like, here, eat this bite of delicious chicken and rice that you enjoy so that then you can take a bite of Holly's like puffs or Holly's baby food or Holly or like a piece of fruit or like eat honey nut Cheerios again for dinner. It's like, sometimes we win, sometimes she wins. I don't know. It's just like this dance that we're doing, uh, but we're playing the bribe game. We're playing it. I digress. Uh, The point, the first number of times I read through this passage, I felt like that was exactly what was going on here in verses 13 through 15. I felt like David was just bribing God. If you forgive me, And if you renew me, then, right? The first word in verse 13, then and only then will I praise you and will I tell others about you. I don't think that's what's going on here. Uh, Man, the more I just read through and spend time here in this passage and even just like thinking about David's heart and the rest of his heart and what it looks like, I really don't think that this is a bribe or a contingency. I really think that David was just dreaming about an amazing future that he knows he doesn't deserve. What he knows he deserves is to lose the Lord's blessing and to lose his position as king, just like Saul did. So here, the idea of receiving this mercy that he doesn't deserve just overflows out of David's heart in a a vow of praise and evangelism. Uh, How could he possibly contain himself after the fact. If the Lord were to grant him mercy in this scenario, how in the world could he contain himself? The only response for David is praise and telling other people about the goodness that he's received. Can I get an amen? Because I'm telling you, this is exactly the response that should be true of every single follower of Jesus. If you think about anyone that loves and follows Jesus, this should be our natural heart's desire. When we think about how much we have been saved from, the mercy that we've been given, the grace that we've been given because of Jesus, the free gift, how does that not overwhelmingly flow out of us naturally in praise and telling other people about it? Amen? Like that is the only possible response. After that, Finally, David continues and concludes with what I think that flows into the most important part of this entire prayer, which is saying a lot considering everything that we've touched on. But in verses 16 and 17, he says this. He says, the Lord doesn't want a sacrifice or a burnt offering from him if that's all he's willing to offer. If he was treating God like a game, or treating like God like some, some impersonal being that could just be appeased by an offering or a sacrifice, he knows he could just keep that sacrifice. It is not worth a single thing. What the Lord wanted back then was David's broken and humble heart. 
And it may seem obvious, but man, this has a direct and profound application for those of us that follow Jesus today. For Jesus followers today, God doesn't want or care about our religious Christian activity. He doesn't want our spiritual disciplines, our going to church, our studying our Bibles, our spending time with him in prayer, even our tithing, giving of our money, our sacrificial giving, even our fasting. He doesn't want any of it, if that is all that we're willing to give. It may feel like that is offering him a lot uh, because we're doing these things for him, we're giving these things to him, but that is not necessarily a whole lot. Are these things good things? Sure. Does God want us to participate in these types of things. Yeah, in verse 19, David even talks about God delighting in right sacrifices. God absolutely delights in those offerings. God absolutely delights in us participating in those things, those spiritual disciplines, when he has our hearts. When he actually has our hearts, when our hearts are broken and humble. Here's the truth is we humans are just really good at self-deception. Our natural tendency is for sure to act in our best self-interest 100% of the time. Uh, It is, that is our natural tendency above radically following Jesus and putting others before ourselves and following in the way that he wants us to live contrary to a culture that lives different than that. That is absolutely our natural tendency. God just wants us, and that goes for every single one of us. And I think God just wants us to be honest with ourselves, to acknowledge that that is true about each and every single one of us as followers of Jesus, and to just have a humble heart before him, especially when there are areas of sin and things that he just wants to change up in our hearts and our lives, just coming with an open and humble heart. And you know who needs to hear this the most? is probably the people who have heard it the most. I'm telling you, the people that need to hear it the most are people like me, like Josh Antioho, people who have a tendency of being self-righteous because I know I'm a good Christian, and quote, unquote, uh, man, I am the person, and maybe you're like me, that just needs to hear this. Um, For me, I regularly... Uh, and I've talked to I've talked to people about this. I regularly needed to be re, need to remember how much of a sinner I am, uh, and remember, uh, man, where my mind goes sometimes, and the thoughts that I have, and uh, how broken of a person I am, and what my life would look like if I didn't have the grace of Jesus in my life regularly. I absolutely uh, need that. Uh, regularly in my life. And I would say is that every single follower of Jesus needs an element of that in their life. Regularly reminded of how desperate we are for the mercy and grace of Jesus. However, I also need to say that God wants a broken and humble heart, but he doesn't want to break us. He doesn't want us broken 
if that makes sense. Uh, This conversation came up in our life group a few months ago, uh, and it came up because we were actually having a conversation around this very topic, and I was just sharing the fact that I regularly need to be reminded of how much of a sinner I am. Like, I need to remember, not that I need to be reminded by other people. Maybe sometimes I do. Sometimes I need a Nathan, but I need to remember how much of a sinner I am. And uh, there was somebody else, I think there might have even been multiple people in our life group that were like, Josh, we actually don't struggle with that, like the self-righteous thing of thinking like, I'm, I'm so good. Uh, others said that from their point of view, they kind of beat themselves up more often. Um, they beat themselves up uh, rather than feeling like kind of on this pedestal of self-righteousness. And man, I would just say that the answer to both of us is the gospel. The answer to both of us is the gospel. Jesus loves and died for both the self-righteous and the self-loather. We both need to humbly acknowledge our sin in an appropriate way, right? Both on both sides. We both need to acknowledge our sin and that it's very real. We both need to ask for forgiveness and for renewal. And we both need to be amazed at the mercy and grace of Jesus. Let me pray. Dear Lord, um, God, we just thank you. Um, Thank you for this prayer from David and just a little bit of an insight into his heart. David was not a perfect man. Um, Obviously with this huge mess up in his life. And then even after the fact, uh, he was not perfect even further down the road. We could point to story after story of things that he didn't do perfectly. Um, Lord, but man, you just appreciated his humble, his broken heart, Um, his heart that continually kind of just acknowledged that he needed you so desperately and that overflowed in praise, that overflowed in sharing. How could he not share of your goodness and your mercy? And Lord, uh, here on this Sunday, I don't think these are groundbreaking brand new principles, but Lord, would you just refresh us anew and help us to understand the depth of how much we need you, the depth of how much we needed Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. We are so desperate for that, every single one of us. Lord, I pray for the self-righteous, God, uh, including myself. Uh, I pray that you would gently and so tenderly whisper to us just how in desperate need we are of you. And I pray that those areas of sin in our life, we would open up and turn over to you. God, I pray for the self-loather that just beats themselves down. I pray that they would feel uh, how much you love and value them, that you are willing to sacrifice even for them. Um, Lord, we all uh, are so grateful for the cross. We're so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful for your goodness in our lives. Um, Lord, would you uh, make us Nathans when we need to be and bring us Nathans when we need them in our own lives. Uh, Lord, we love you so much. We thank you. And we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.